Judgecast. That's a podcast about magic judging and other things related, uh, mixed in with a fair amount, sometimes more than fair amount of banter, and talking about what happens in the world of judging um, for Magic the Gathering, of course. How else would you get to this from other than a Magic the Gathering source article, place, site? So, who are you? We have, my name is Sean Catanese, level two from Sacramento, California. I'm here in the room with Jose Boveda, level one in Sacramento. One of our regular hosts. And we have a returning host uh, that is a, a hopefully recurring guest. Toby um, Elliott, level five from um, Los Altos. Okay, so level five meaning head honcho of the policy wing of the DCI, more or less. For not, not That's not what level fives all do, but... That's what you do as a level five. Sure, I, my focus is on the policy aspects of the program. So um, you've done, you know, we, we kind of covered this in our first interview with you a couple months ago about what you do as an L5. Um, so one of those things is the infraction procedure guidelines um, yep. and all the sorts of policy and communication that we do around what makes the game enforceable in the tournament environment. What makes the rules work as the rules? Um, not so much the interactions between cards and Mark Gottlieb type stuff, but um, the interactions and managing interactions of, of players and how we, we have expectations of, of what they should know, what they should do, and how that gets enforced. So the reason we asked you for to sit down with us today um, in your wonderful home. But, but besides that fact. Oh, right, that, that we just wanted the, the road trip here down here to uh, – to the South Bay, but actually to uh, to talk a bit about the big changes that have happened in the last couple weeks. We made changes. We we did. That's well, you did. <laughs> that's the first thing that we we said to each other when we when we looked at that the the mm-hmm. IPG and the changes were like we need to talk with Toby. Yeah, absolutely. We need to get him on the on the air on the mic. Yeah, the first time that band list was printed up and all the other big June eighteenth. You know, oh, we're we're deciding to you know nuke extended and change everything around. You know, Jose and Ricky and myself, we were all sitting down and we were like, well, we can record tonight and talk about that. But really, this is JudgeCast. We care about judging topics, and nothing on the mothership had the giant big banner of "Hey, extended change a whole bunch." And by the way, your IPG is completely different now. Yeah, you know, it, 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 that was sort of a, a minor inclusion. Um, but let's walk through some of the changes. I'm amazed you didn't get enough hate mail from the last appearance. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank you for so having me. We're very happy to have you here. So, so tell me more. So the biggest change, obviously, is that we've pulled regular RAL from the IPG. Mm-hmm. It's now got its own document prepared by the inestimable James McKay from Australia. He originally started this project, which was essentially, he came to us and he said, I want to write a simplified version to introduce people to the IPG. And he'd started on that. He produced a sort of partial document. He was some of the way there. And we said, well, actually, this dovetails very nicely with something we're working on. <laughs> um, we'd like you to actually make this more formal. And we'd like you to think of this document as how we handle regular REL. Um, and we're going to give it to everybody who does our regular REL tournaments. And because it's short, we'll actually hopefully read it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, regular REL is a big focus for wizards. Um, the scope, the scope of regular RL is, is it's incredibly mind-boggling. Um, I'll give you some examples. So sort of, some of the numbers are fake, some of them are not. Um, how many competitive RL tournaments do you think we have a year worldwide that get sanctioned? Competitive? Well, yeah. I mean, if you take each region with its PTO, 
having, say, three PTQs per season. Sure, let's call it And that. you've got 20 regions, and you've got three seasons in a year. That's, mm-hmm. you know, so each, that's probably 180 in the U.S., 180 PTQs, maybe more. Um, sure, sounds about right. Okay. Um, Grand Prix Trials, first day Grand Prix. Mm, still somewhere on the order of probably five, maybe six hundred a year, and that's probably a high number. Oh, I think I think you're with me. I think we. Okay. Pro- I think you're a ten x low sort of thing. Oh, really? Um, okay. There, well, it's, you were it's just possible talking to about... sanction um, competitive REL tournaments. Oh, that's true. Outside. Like five like Ks and. But even beyond five okay. Ks, you yeah. can technically, if you want to, go jump through various hoops. You can you can sanction your random Thursday draft. Okay, so oh, that's right. So so you're looking at you're saying more along the lines of five to six thousand. Events. I don't actually know, but that'd be really good. So, on the level three list a little while back, um, somebody said, "Why are we testing two HG? It's a dead format." Mm. And so there was this big discussion of, you know, well, does the do we really need two headed giant questions, which are a little bit outside the mainstream of Magic, on a on the like level one test? And some of us were like, "Hey, we do lots of two HG, right? We really mm-hmm. like that." And so, how many sanctioned two HG tournaments do you think there were in the first four months of this year? Yeah, we're talking not just competitive, just but how many sanctioned? How many two HG tournaments got sanctioned? Oh God, not many at all. I mean, you're looking at uh, the occasional FNM. I think, yeah, so rare. Uh, uh, really? Get, I don't, you want to take a stab at the number? Well, I, I I don't know about the actual number, but I think like as far as like regular, yeah, we're talking about regular yeah, talking REL. About, has to be regular because we don't do it at competitive. Exactly. Pressure. So that's that's a very fun format. There's a lot of FNMs that do that. At Great Escape, we have had this month, I think, mm-hmm. two two-headed giant tournaments on Friday. So, and that's one store. But we're unusual for the area. I think, I mean, you have nine areas, nine places that run FNM in the region. Mm-hmm. And Great Escape is probably the only one that does that. Two-headed giant FNM. Everything else is draft, 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 maybe some standard you know, it's it's very un, un, unusual to have two at a jet. I would guess probably on the order of. I mean, we're we're still talking in the first four months of the year. I would guess less than less than five hundred. The first four months of this year, there were ten thousand sanctioned two-headed giant oh, regular REL tournaments. Oh, oh who's the man? God. I oh knew it. God. This is how huge regular is. The day format that oh people think God. are die is dying had 10,000 tournaments in the first four months. Oh, my God. Regular Ariel is that huge. I mean, it dwarfs everything. Okay, so 12 million players is a lot of players. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's, okay. That's a lot of people. A lot of players. Yeah. So, so Wizards is fundamentally thinking, well, you know, this makes up the vast, vast, vast majority of our tournaments, the vast, vast majority, presumably, of their card sales and everything else. Mm-hmm. What percentage of those tournaments has a guy stand there in a judge shirt saying, you know, I'm now your judge. Fewer, we, fewer than one in ten. Yeah, fewer, well, fewer, fewer than one in a hundred. Fewer than one in a thousand. I mean, yeah. we talk we talk about that in, in Judge Cast a lot. That most most you know Friday Night Magics don't have a guy that says you know uh, I'm your judge tonight. You know, ninety nine point nine nine some nine percent of the time, the guy behind the counter mm-hmm. got the straw for tonight. <laughs> um, if you are lucky, you have a sanctioned judge playing in the event. You're like, that's probably still one in a hundred events. Yeah. So what are the odds that guy behind the counter or, you know, even like best rules guy on your, um, who happens to be playing in the draft and is acting as the de facto judge, what are the odds that they have read the IPG? No. Zero. Yeah. yeah. What, are, what are the odds that they would actually be capable of like even understanding most of the philosophy underlying the IPG? Pretty much the same. Right. right. So 
why are we running 99 point whatever percent of our tournaments completely against how we're actually supposed to be running them <laughs> in theory? I mean, they're, they're going in and, you know, they get a judge call there. They're based a lot. Right. Well, and we also run into this with the way that the tournaments get reported. Wizards event reporter does not support, you mm-hmm. know, a formal warning system, a formal sure. – you don't track those sorts of things. So even if the warnings for drawing extra cards or exists at regular REL in the old IPG, you don't have a way to, to report that to Wizards or have it get sure. tracked. But, I mean, even beyond that, the, if you issue a warning to a player at a Friday Magic, is the guy who's probably didn't even realize he's issuing a warning going to understand what an upgrade path is? No. No. Obviously not. So – uh, obviously, these people are basically just going and doing whatever they want to do. Well, the goal now is a two-page document. A two-page document, even the guy behind the counter can like look over very quickly mm-hmm. and be given a certain level of information that will make his tournament that much more consistent. Yeah, it's not going to be the nice rigid consistency that we expect at competitive REL, where you know there are prescribed approaches. But it, it's more of a these things are very bad. Don't let them happen. These things are, you know, these things happen. Keep the game going as much as possible, and here are some ways in which you can do that. And it's just very basic, distilled philosophy from the PG mm-hmm. that allows them to apply very simple stuff that they wouldn't otherwise know necessarily to do. And when we're when we're talking two sheets, two sheets can be stuck up on a poster on the wall, right? And, and it's also yeah. written in non-technical language, and it's very non-technical. So you, know, you stick them on the wall, and you just tell the players, "Hey, you run into one of those problems. Those are your rules. Those are your rules." Um, players can fix, you know, when, when somebody misses a trigger, mm-hmm. players can fix that usually. If, if you give them a nice, simple, hey, you know, if it said May, don't worry about it. If it's, you know, if it said you, if you don't do it, do this, then do that. Otherwise, just put the trigger on the stack. Mm-hmm. That is, you know, the very, very fast summary of, you know, a page in the IPG. And, and that d- didn't deviate that much from what we had in the IPG. You know, right. when, exactly. when you miss a trigger, you can put it on the stack right there. Right, right, and and since there's not you know enormous cash prizes at stake or you know high high volumes of things, we 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 want to focus them as much as possible on keep the game going. Right, I mean people are there at FNM to have fun. They're there to play the game. Mm-hmm. Um, they aren't there to suddenly find themselves not playing the game on a strange technicality. Right, right. So especially since a lot of the especially get a lot of the things that they can do that would normally give them game losses don't exist at regular REL mm-hmm. deck lists in particular. Generally, I mean, it can occasionally, and yeah, decklist at regular just seems like a too much work. But yeah, um, I, can't, I can't imagine that anyone gets real value out of a decklist at a pre-release, unlikely. or logging a pool or something. like sure. that. Sure, I mean, sometimes some pre-releases where they're really concerned about people bringing in from outside, maybe. But like your average FNM using a decklist is causing a lot of overhead for players. I mean, so these things are not really available for them to get losses and. Mm-hmm. If they're doing crazy, crazy things like bring in some completely banned card because they were playing this deck on their kitchen table and wanted to bring it to FNM, we don't want to stop them. We just want to get that banned card out of the deck, get some basic land in there, and get them going again. Mm-hmm. So the document focuses on keeping the game going as much as humanly possible with some very simple heuristics. And that's enough of the sort of master philosophy from the IPG that. It will it will ironically increase consistency by removing the restrictions. Right. Well, and that's actually one thing I, I think was really confusing about the IPG before this change, and that was that a lot of the the misunderstandings about well, when can I downgrade something? Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of that came from people misreading or misapplying 
the regular REL downgrades or regular REL penalties to a competitive situation or a philosophy that may allow for regular REL downgrade in a, you know, then saying, well, this is a similar situation and competitive, so why don't we downgrade it here too? You know, it, it's a, there's a plenty of, of opportunities for confusion there. And by separating the two and clearly delineating, you know, competitive play has these expectations, non-competitive FNMs, kitchen table magic, you should be doing this here. This is how you should run things in, in general. I think the best, the, the, the reason this change is so good is because it immediately, I mean, Toby said it, it doesn't go against the human nature. This, this is how things are actually happening. And, you know, Mark Rosewater talks about this all the time. When you're talking about design, uh, don't you know, use the word intuitive now. We hate that word. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yes. Judges like hate it. that word. But it is, yeah, but it is actually very important when you're talking about design. Uh, the rules now dovetail with what people are actually doing. Mm-hmm. And it gives them, it just gives them that guideline to run their tournaments. I think it's great. But now, um, you know, there's still sort of a problem where we have that document made in this way, but how do we get store owners to look at it? If they if they knew that the IPG existed, if there were actual like rules to tell them this is how you run a magic tournament at your FNM, they would look at the document. Even if they don't read it all the way, they may get some tips here and there. So what what do we do to get it in the hands well, of so, so there's a couple things we can do here. Um it's worth noting, for example, that when we say we have a document which tells you how to run your tournaments, and it's 37 pages long, <laughs> get a great response. Yeah. Right. If we have a two-page document, which, hey, we could slip into gateway kits or any of these sort of easy places where we can just shove a two-sided printed piece of paper, that's likely to get a lot more attention. And because it's two pages, it's likely to actually get read. The next thing that happens is that your rules guy at the draft, the one who's sitting there and acts as the de facto judge, even though he's not a judge or anything mm-hmm. else. But he's the guy who, when somebody has an actual rules question, the store guy goes, I don't know. Ask him. Yeah. Sure. Um, that guy also now has a two-page document, which essentially moves him up to a level where he's functioning as a judge. And a certain number of those people are going to function as judge and become more functional as a judge until the point where they're actually a judge. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is, this is also a great way to recruit and to encourage, to demonstrate the store's why it's so important to have judges because, you know, these people will make their lives easier. Well, I see another implication for that too. Um, and that is that a rules lawyer can really be shut down by this, by, yeah, rules by the FC. Yes. There is not a lot of rules lawyering available in the new. In right. The new where, where basically, you know, if you, if you were always interested in, in really pushing a point, you know, it really sets the tone and a good framework for saying, this is how we're going to run things. And yeah, the guy made a mistake, but we're not going to, Punish him, you yeah. know, inordinately for it. Yes, we, are, gonna, we are not at the pro tour here. Exactly, and and the the rules lawyers, I think, get get um, kind of removed from the picture from that. And that's one huge benefit from that. But, but the rules lawyers, who often are the judge guys, right? The, <laughs> the, ones, they know right, the ones who are right. So they're the ones who now it. get exposed to this philosophy, right? Because um, right. they're the one, you know, if the guy's like, yeah, you're you're acting as my judge for all these tournaments. Here, have this piece of paper. Mm-hmm. I guess this is for you. <laughs> Hey, now he's you know got a very short, bite-sized digestion of DCI policy. Um, so hopefully they'll be more engaged, and you know your average store-level judge will raise that that bit extra from this exposure. One one thing that Sean mentioned is that how people handle things, uh, you know, store owner just handles things uh, on the fly, mm-hmm. and often they they in the past have applied 
you know, the wrong procedure for a regular REL because they just didn't know the policy. Mm-hmm. Um, so this, this new document provides, you know, the, the right frame of mind for handling these REL things. So yeah. what happens now, now that you've taken the teeth out of regular, you've taken regular REL out of the picture, mm-hmm. uh, now this has no teeth, what do you do with the egregious uh, mm-hmm. uh, problems should they happen? The guy that does run in there and does run the cheats on people. Well, I, I think also that this, I mean, you do provide some framework for that, though. We do. In the FC, that's, I guess that's what we're calling it for short now, the Fixing Common Errors document. <laughs> um, because it's it's it does talk about, you know, you having the right as as your store owner to, to really keep your place you know fair and fun above all else. That, that it's, you can, you know, discourage certain behaviors. I think when I first saw that behaviors that are generally discouraged mm-hmm. in there, that those words are... are they're not the sort of technical thing that we're used to. We're used to seeing, you know, <laughs> infraction. Yes. Penalty. What's, not, the, what's the penalty? Right. Yeah. What's a penalty? What's a fix? Right. Yeah. Exactly. But when we're talking about discouraging certain behaviors, and and, and you know, it, it's much. It gets much more to the similar to the communications guidelines that Nick Sefton mm-hmm. wrote, where it's a we're managing interactions of people instead of managing the more you know black and white interactions of you know did you break a rule? Didn't you? And here's how we fix it. It's it's a it's talking more about social interactions and, and keeping in mind that it's a social game right. and that when somebody does go in there and, as you said, run the mad cheats, um, <laughs> that, you know, there's a – not only is there the, the pressure of the store owner to be able to say now, you know, you're done. You know, you're done. Come come back in, in two months and maybe we'll let you play. Store, store owners have a ton of power. Yeah. I mean it, store it, owners can say, no, yeah. you know, <laughs> we do not allow that behavior here. You know, please leave the store and um, don't come back for a while. Yeah, and and you now the the really egregious stuff like aggressive behavior, that sort mm-hmm. of thing. Um, how does somebody go about reporting that? Because in the old in the old way, ways, you could sort of report a DQ and record that in WE in in the old DCI reporter, um, and that would kind of get leveled up to you know the the big Gleamax machine that says <laughs> this person shouldn't be playing in anything. So even if you you know if you kick somebody's ass at an F and M, actually kicking their ass, then mm-hmm. then you know you can that can have repercussions for you later on. But without that uh, avenue to report that sort of thing, how do they? How does somebody go about that? They, well, they still have the avenue. It doesn't go straight through DCIR. Okay. Um, in terms of DQs at regular REL, the reason that DQs go up the chain is because yes, Wizards keeps track of a lot of the stuff, and there are for many competitive level DQs suspensions. Mm-hmm. And, but at regular REL, if you commit a DQable offense, you're not generally going to be suspended, with one exception. So they don't really need to know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's possible that somebody goes and gets repeatedly DQ'd from multiple stores, but that, I mean, communities are still communities. It's not like, you know, we actually had somebody turn up at um, a local like college draft, and they're like, didn't we see you on the band list the other day? I mean, <laughs> yeah, it turned, it turned out the guy, he hadn't, for whatever snappy, we hadn't received his ban letter or something. But, mm-hmm. you know, communities talk about these things. So if somebody gets DQ'd from store A and is kicked out and shows up at store B, odds are pretty good that store B is going to know what's going on. Right. Or even a local area. Now, it's possible, obviously, if you are willing to migrate cross-country, you can, like, leave a trail of DQs in your wake. Yeah, that's... that's, that, I'm, I'm, that's funnily, yeah. I'm not losing sleep over that possibility. Yeah. Now, the one exception, obviously, that they do want to know about is when somebody does actually assault somebody else. Right, aggressive know? behavior. Because that is right. just absolutely forbidden, and it is essential for, from Wizards' philosophy that these people just be kept out of tournaments. 
Right. The, the most recent high-profile example of this was uh, Peter Zagetti at yes, Grand Prix yes, Oakland, for example. But um, but even at the Wrangler, and for those people who don't know what happened, oh, it was uh, he he got into a physical altercation and and uh, was given a lifetime ban. That's that's the short story. During the tournament or on grounds or um, probably like between he was DQ'd from the tournament mm-hmm. and the right. process. Yeah. Um, but um, but that that was a you know, competitive level event. We're even at regular though. We I mean somebody hits somebody else, we care. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, some somebody runs the cheats. That that's a local thing that could be handled. And you know that at worst they would have gotten a stern letter from Withers. Right, the community being a community, yeah. the social yes. pressure. We, we that's want people to treat on. you know the community as a community. And and we find actually when you make less rules, mm-hmm. the community tends to actually rise up to that. They they'll they'll behave better because there are less rules. It's sort of this weird ironic psychological thing that when you give people less rules, they actually their ethics take over, and so they they tend to actually break them and they less and they tend to police them better because it's their own. They have some, it, some stake in them. Themselves. They have stake in it exactly. And so aside from the violence ones, I I wouldn't worry. Just you know handle it locally. Um, the, you know most stores are highly interested in maintaining their business and it's very rare that maintaining their business involves supporting a bunch of shady people. Right. So, um, well, and, and we do want to clarify here that we've spent a, a good deal talking about these decuable offenses, but really they are pretty rare. They are. They're, yeah, very rare. they're extremely rare. So and at, at the regular level where, you know, at best there's a pack at stake, mm-hmm. the EV on like serious cheating there is so small that yeah. you have to essentially be pathological right. to do that level. <laughs> So, so it, the the takeaway from it is that uh, store owners police their store just like they would police, uh, you know, people stealing from their store. Uh-huh. You know, right. uh, they, they don't even, police a tournament the same sort of way. But it's not even store; it's the your fellow drafters. Yeah. Your fellow drafters have all the incentive in the world, assuming that they are the ethical ones, which you know the vast, vast, vast majority of Magic players are. Assuming they're the ethical ones, they they too have this incentive to. Keep their store a great place to play, right? Because they want to keep playing there, ideally. Right. And and really, I guess a, a, another takeaway from that is that if you have people who are, you know, basically they they make it they make their success by you know erring on the on the dark side of mm-hmm. of, of how they play. Eventually, they will get to a competitive environment uh, if that's what they want to do. That's where the 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 bigger you know the bigger prizes are. Yeah. So at at that point. We have all the rules to to process people. Yeah, they they would get the the smackdown right there. So so store owners uh, uh, police here and uh, at at the regular REL, and you know we have the the tools to take care of the these guys if they go to a competitive environment. Now I wanted to touch on uh, change gears a little bit and touch mm-hmm. on on sort of the process of how this change was made, <laughs> um, because to me it sounds like there were kind of two different ways that it could have happened. And that is that, which so, neither will be right as soon as I'm, you I'm, say. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure that's the case. Um, but we had basically, um, if you if you look at the way that Wizards Event Reporter is now the software for everything in in F and M, and, and mm-hmm. which F and M is the flagship of, of organized play. It's how everything really starts, where, where most everything happens. Um, Wizards Event Reporter doesn't have any way of recording warnings. Doesn't have any way of reporting things, putting them up the chain. And so it makes sense that either you fix Wizards Event Reporter and you change it so that it can do that, or you you know alter the IPG to suit that and say, you know, people aren't really going to start doing this if we do change it. 
and they're not going, they're not really doing it in the first place. So why do we even bother tracking these things? Is it so? Was the was did the WER team come to you and say, "Do we really need to record warnings?" Or did you go to them and say, "Hey guys, I know you're developing this. Sometime down the road, we're not going to do this, so don't bother putting it in." Jose got it right. Neither of those things is correct. Okay. Yes. So um, what, in, what really happened? So in general, um, Wizards IT, or mm-hmm. I guess not IT, as Wizards Development Department works completely independently from OP and everybody else. Okay. Um, now there are directed high-level corporate goals. And then there are the internal goals. And we have very little power to sort of alter the development timeframes for Wizards, the WER team, for example. So they build stuff at their own pace, and we do stuff, and we hope that it'll match. I mean, for example, there's not yet a penalty file for DCIR to reflect the new penalties. Mm. Um, It'll come eventually, but it'll come on the timetable of their when they have a chance to release it. And we, you know, we, we obviously ask them for things and you know, they obviously listen to us, but they have their own department. They have lots and lots of commitments. And so it's not, nothing gets driven, nothing on either side particularly gets driven. It's not like we said, oh, well, they're not doing that. Therefore, we had better write the rules to accommodate that. Okay. And I don't believe that they at some point said, oh, well, they're writing these rules. We'll we'll get ahead of the game and implement it and get it out. I, I suspect what really happened there is that Wizards, as a high-level strategy, was like, what can we do? Regular RL is obviously incredibly important, and as I said earlier, there's all these tournaments. What can we do to support that? Or philosophically, how are we moving forward on this? Mm-hmm. And then this philosophy, just like or the philosophy sort of moves through the judge program, this philosophy moved through Wizards, and the various departments started pushing stuff out. And I don't know if... It's just coincidence that the WER hadn't implemented penalties at that point or if they actually had inside information or anything. I mean, certainly we didn't go to them and say, hey, we're planning on eliminating regular REL penalties. Um, don't bother writing them in, or you know, don't code them in our WER. Or at least I had nothing to do with that. Sure, sure. Um, the decision from a IPG standpoint was made more or less around the release of the last IPG, so March-ish time. We knew this was where we were headed. Um, most of the stuff is about a quarter ahead. Mm-hmm. And you kind of alluded to that in our last interview, saying... Did I? Oh, you, <laughs> in a very vague way, saying, well, you know, these people with all these problems for regular REL, they'll be really happy with our next... Oh, okay. ...with our next change. Yes, yeah, so um, I, I usually... So releases are really six-month. Uh, we, we release quarterly, but the way it's been working in the past few years is... Every six months, we issue a major release, and then on the quarters, we just issue bug fixes. Uh, bug fixes. <laughs> exactly. It's a it's bug fix release. We fix the typos. You know, people have pointed out, well, you know, now that we've got this document, why are you referring to teams in the slow play? Mm-hmm. So there'll be lots of little grammatical fix-ups all over in the September IPG. And every once in a while, maybe we'll find one infraction that we want to, like, like for example, in March we had the change to insufficient randomization. Right. Insufficient so we'll, we'll make little changes there, but the the wholesale philosophical changes. If you look back at the history of the IPG, have happened in December and in June. Mm-hmm. So um, we we work on that sort of schedule. And so as of March, I knew I knew for example the DEC stuff had been written up and could have gone into March, and we decided to hold off and leave bake that one for a little longer. So let's actually let's actually well, well let's, let's, let's just finish up this yeah, point. Finish so, up this and go back so to the, those, the point yeah. is that around March we actually knew. Yes, it was. We we'd been talking about this for. A year. I mean, we knew regular was going to be. You, you can see a lot of the sort of stuff we've been focusing on at regular, and all the right. changes that have been coming. The idea, the idea of letting the judge actually play in the events, and all the all these sort of little things. 
that have been moving towards making regular their own entity. And we've been talking about, well, how can we reflect this in policy for a year or so? And back in March was around when James had been working on his document for a while. And that was when I actually said to him, look, this is where we're going. Change your focus to this and let's, let's actually make it happen. And so we targeted that for June. Okay. Well, good. And that's, and it's really rolled out really well, I think. No, um, people think, have been very happy with it. Yeah. And, and more happy with this than the other big changes that happened on, on the <laughs> Well, that's the other way to roll out some big changes that <laughs> yeah. aren't, aren't so news dominant. Right. <laughs> we'll have bigger ones. Okay. Well, there, there are a few things, I guess, in the specific list of things that got changed that we want to kind of cover. So, right. um, you know, if you haven't read the IPG yet, the new one, um, we'll post a link to it. Actually post the document on our Facebook here. Um, and, uh, you know, document to the DCI document center, uh, or link to it. But what I do want to cover is kind of how the, the philosophy changed or has evolved mm-hmm. behind some of these changes. Um, and, uh, also, well, and also the, the, the differences that exist now from, from the old one and where this goes in the future. Um, so I guess the spoilers, well, <laughs> well, for instance, um, you know, drawing extra cards mm-hmm. has been, uh, sort of a problematic infraction and penalty, and, and that whole setup has been, you know, whether it's being misinterpreted or misunderstood, um, the idea of, of what constitutes drawing extra cards and how that gets enforced, um, how people, you know, it basically I think is one of the most problematic ones because anytime somebody ends up with an extra card in their hand from for whatever reason, you know, the person across the table from them is thinking, oh, that's that's a card you shouldn't have. You got you it somehow. You drew extra cards somehow, and that's that's the impression players have. That's just not how it works for the IPG and how judges need to explain. Well, it, that's it. actually a very interesting impression because, and this this gets back to a lot of um, R and D research actually. So, for example, R and D has done this research and determined that if I play my creature and you terror it, I'm happy. If I play my creature and you counter it, I'm not. Right. And right. It, 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 it there's this weird discrepancy there where the effective end result is the same, but you got the feeling like you could play your card. Right. right. That your spell resolves. Your spell and that, happened and yeah. now, oh no. <laughs> so it's the same thing here. Drawing extra card. If I draw an extra card off an error, I, like for whatever reason, I have an extra card in my hand. Is that really worse technically than you bend your indestructible creature when I wrap? No. I'm up a card both ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but from a player perspective, and this, and really from a mists of time judging perspective, when this first document was first created back in the you know, mid '90s, I'm thinking of the halls of mist card from Ice Age. Now, when you wondering, one judge yeah. comes out of around, one of the doors and around goes, that IPG. time. Right. <laughs> so there's this, been this perception: oh my god, cards uber alice because you know, card advantage was mm-hmm. the concept, and a lot of people mentally translate card advantage as I draw, draw extra cards. Right. But card advantage is, a, as you know, people have developed theories over the years, and you know, florists and BDM and all these people who write about sort of the theory of magic, card advantage is expressed in lots and lots of subtle ways. Absolutely. But we still maintain the sort of lizard brain visceral reaction to you drew an extra card that may or may not be a, a relevant thing. Right. I mean, obviously, it's it's a, it's an infraction, and it needs to be stopped. And obviously, it has to be seriously disincentivized because you know we don't want people thinking they can get away. The, re- the main reason that drawing extra cards has always been separate is, in general, it's fairly easy to do without your opponent noticing. Right, the, and that's, like I can just—you're not looking. I can just pull a card off the top. And that's how we were doing it with the the immediately previous definition of drawing extra cards, and how that was immediately implemented was you're told to draw, draw cards mm-hmm. and you do more than you should at that moment. Yes. And so, 
you know, drawing three cards when you have, you know, when you have a, a font of mythos in play. Mm-hmm. Uh, drawing three cards when, when that trigger resolves is drawing extra cards. Um, but drawing it, you know, drawing two cards when the font of mythos isn't in play mm-hmm. is actually a game rule violation because you're applying a trigger that didn't happen. Yes. And, and that distinction is just, it's, it's so yep. difficult for people to get. Is that, was that one of the impetuses for this year? Yes. And I mean, the fundamental problem is that it is incredibly, incredibly hard. Drawing extra cards is like the worst infraction existence because from, from a writing policy standpoint, because it's impossible to draw this nice bright line. Mm. It says everything on this side is not drawing extra cards. Everything on this side is drawing extra cards. Right. I mean, you have the sort of hardcore people who are like, you put an extra card in your hand. And this is, that's sort of the 99 PG version was you mm-hmm. put a card in your hand that you weren't supposed to be. No matter, doesn't matter why. Right. You know, it's because, you know, your opponent told you to do so because he tapped this thing that says draw a card. Mm-hmm. Well, draw a card, and and we do this and, also with gee. even recently with uh, with Jace the Mind Sculptor and the brainstorm ability. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't tell you how many times in just a casual kitchen table game I've picked the three cards up, and then I'm th- I'm so excited to see all these three cards that I forget to put two sure, back. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's weird, also because it's not technically drawing cards at that point. Right, and then yeah, there's all right. you know, all that insanity. But even I mean, the simple well, not simple illustration. But the illustration I used way back, and this actually happened at Grand Prix Tampa. Mm-hmm is um, one of the players had a creature that um, when it went to the graveyard, everybody drew a card or their opponent drew a card or something. And they tapped a Brian Stoutarm to sack that creature. The guy drew a card. Oh, Brian Stoutarm was summoning sick. Uh, is that drawing extra cards? Oh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh. No, not really, because not. The, you have so many, I mean, the root cause, we get back to the root, cause, of it, the root cause, it's a, it's a game rule violation at its heart, because mm-hmm. you're, you know, you're, you're giving, you're using an activated ability when you can't. Right. That's the, the main... The, pro- the problem yeah. is, though, is when root cause is actually a very hard concept to express. Um, it, it's, it's just brutal, because especially for people, you know, for really, really steeped in magic theory, people they can they can figure it out. Mm-hmm. But for your average, you know, starting out judge, root cause and understanding why if you didn't pay the right amount for silver galata, but you drew the card anyway, or if you finding the, there's no bright line. And you know, even with the new rules, people are you know, well, so if I draw for Howling Mind that isn't in play, it's it is a DEC. But if I draw for Jace when I couldn't, it's it's you know not and. Yeah, there's always going to be still, that. There's always, there isn't, we, we've tried, trust me. There is no way to draw a bright line that isn't like you put a card in your hand and you, you mm-hmm. lose. Or, or and we, we seriously discussed this for a while, just why is drawing extra cards any different from any other GRD? Right, and just calling it a warning. Yeah, we, we thought about just removing DEC from the IPG entirely. Well, and, 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 and the reason that we, you didn't, is what, what we're getting is that hmm. it's a, Something that's hard for your opponent to believe. Well, and the potential yeah, for advantage the, is the potential is the potential is very high. It's it's tricky to catch, and the feeling was that in the last version, which nobody was really happy with, the the you draw because honestly, it's, it was a, almost a non penalty because the number of times you could trip that was very very small. It was sort of a weird handway where we said, well, maybe we will sort of take it out, and uh-huh, sort of leave right. it there, and people weren't ha- people felt like that was a little too far. Mm-hmm. On the being, I mean, we, we, it's still a competitive event, and we still want people to like play tight. And now that we're at pulling regular out, where we perhaps would have been a lot more lenient and really didn't care, 
now, now that we're actually writing a document that's designed for tournaments where we expect you to play somewhat tightly, mm-hmm. it was reasonable to say, well, okay, now we can make DEC a little harder. Right. And which is what we did. I mean, we, we added the clause that says if you can't figure out why you have extra cards, we're going to default to you drew extra cards. Right. And that, that, that's actually a big deal because, you know, you'll get into games and, you know, they'll be, you'll be confronted by, you know, 25 cards in each graveyard in a massive complicated board situation. And then one guy's like, I have three cards in hand. I only had one card, you know, Two turns ago and played this, and something was wrong. And you drew a card in there somewhere, dude. Yeah. Well, I want to get into one of the things that when we're arguing policy and discussing, you know, does this scenario, where does this scenario fit, and mm-hmm. how would you how would you deal with this scenario? That's one thing that judges do a lot. It's kind of a a good pastime at most of the competitive good events mm-hmm. is is playing stump one another. Yeah. You know, basically, Uh-oh. how do you how do you stump the next guy up on the level, or how as a mentor do you stump the people below you? Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that we often refer to in those arguments is uh, the examples in the IPG. Because there's with 10,000 cards that all are supposed to interact with one another on some level, it's impossible to write a set of rules that, that covers every possible interaction and does so very easily. Be careful with the examples, though, because it's also impossible to write examples to cover every <laughs> That's exactly what I'm getting at here. Um, but there is one example in the new drawing extra cards that I, I'm curious about because okay. it doesn't seem to to be the similar. The, for those of you who haven't read it, but um, the the four examples that you have for drawing extra cards are um, drawing four cards off of an ancestral recall. Okay, that's that's just like the old it's version like the where old you one. draw more yep. cards than you should right. when you're told to. Um, forgetting to draw or draws a card, forgetting that a howling mine is no longer in play where, where you should have drawn for howling mine. Mm-hmm. So you you draw when you shouldn't have. And what that used to be a GRV mm-hmm. under the old version just prior, and yes. now now it's into drawing extra cards because you are drawing a card when you really yes. should. I believe we actually copied and pasted that example from <laughs> one to the other just to make <laughs> right. it clear. Right, um, and then draw for your you know, you draw for your turn, and then a few moments later you you draw again for your mm-hmm. turn. That's a real simple. Again, you draw a card, then you draw a card. Okay, yep. that's drawing extra cards, and that happens a lot. I mean, people draw for their turn, get distracted, play a bunch of instants, and then think, well, it must be still my upkeep. Draw it for my turn. Right. Nope. Now, the, the last example, though, is a little strange, and Uh-oh. that's a player puts a creature with lethal damage on it into their hand instead of their graveyard. Mm-hmm. Tell me how that one came out. Does That that, that seems like it, it sort of stands out as different. So it, it, well, it is different, and it, it, the philosophy there is that drawing extra cards isn't really about draw. We, we, we officially define draw as judges. It's got a very specific meaning. It's to move mm-hmm. a card from the top of your library into your hand. Sure. But the infraction itself, we use draw a little more colloquially there. It's basically you put cards into your hand that shouldn't be there. Okay. Because, again, once a card goes into your hand, it becomes very hard to spot. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, you frequently aren't fanning your hand out or, it's you know, slipping through how much difference does it really look if your card ha- hand has five cards versus four cards. So if I grab a creature off the table that I'm supposed to be putting in my graveyard and it goes into my hand, I've effectively added a card to my hand, okay. which is what drawing extra cards really means. It's adding a card to your hand. Well, I have, a, I have a great example for this that happened at uh, a tournament that yes. you were running. Um, that, of course, in, in, my, in my shock and awe, I didn't actually call a judge. Yeah, and you really should have. I really, I really should have. I totally failed on that. Because it, because it was pretty egregious. It, like, it, it happened in front of me. I caught it, and I'm like, what the hell are you doing? I was, uh, I was uh, playing standard, and my opponent was playing a uh, vampire deck. And he plays uh, Sign in Blood. He didn't have much action. I was playing a, like a white, blue, Enchantress style deck. Um, he plays Sign in Blood. He didn't have much action, so I cancel it. I play cancel. He takes his Sign in Blood, puts it in the graveyard. Um, 
passes the turn to me. I I go and I untap and I see him take the sign of blood from his graveyard and put it in his hand. Is that drawing extra cards? I, I catch that sounds this. like manipulation of game materials to me. Well, and that's that's a question then. But that's the question. You you take a creature should have died, put it in your hand instead of the graveyard. Mm-hmm. Oh, what if he put it in the graveyard, then put it into his hand? Well, it, so the difference there is entirely on the basis of the investigation. Right. Um, both of them. I mean, where where where, I, where is the line well, where somebody would bear, would. Return to their hand a creature that got wrath. Well, what we're talking about, though, is manipulation of game materials is a cheating infraction. Yeah. So mm-hmm. intent matters. Yes. Yeah. And so when we're talking – so otherwise we would call that – that situation, absent intent, we would call that drawing extra cards under the new IPG. Okay. Yes. But, <laughs> but, but <laughs> there's a lot of questions to be asked here. <laughs> right. Now, in your specific example, just to, just to tie it up, I guess we uh, – that when you came to me after the round, that player had already come up to me, dropped and left the venue. Yeah. So uh, he uh, he ran. Yeah. Um, But yeah, so that was, it was too late for us to do much about that. But um, yeah, that, that is, uh, I'll I'll give you a somewhat contrived example of how that might not be cheating. (laughs) I have to work at it here. The judge comes and you know, some kid and the kid says, well, I realized that he'd remanded the spell and it was supposed to be in my hand. Like I said, it's a little on the contrived side, but yeah, I probably I, wouldn't believe him anyway. But yeah, I, I, no, I, I'm just trying to come up with a potentially innocent explanation right. for your sure, scenario. It's, pl- it's plenty of uh, darned unlikely. Yeah, I, I, I don't see that being now, now. The the question though I have is that with that example, mm-hmm. um, creature with lethal damage or creature that's been destroyed, um, and or, or say Jose's example where mm-hmm. a spell you know there's an interaction there where the spell gets countered, mm-hmm. put into a different zone. Um, you have both players interacting in a way or, or game actions taking place that affect an object and that object is meant to change zones mm-hmm. and it goes to a different zone than it's supposed to. That sort of a change. That was almost, that was almost the definition of penalty for a while. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely well, done, Sean. Well, that change though is so similar to a GRV because yeah. when we I – mean, let's talk about Jace for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you put – if you're drawing three cards off of Jace and you forget to put two back, now that's drawing extra cards here. Right. Um, and we, we, so, had, we had this example in, in the previous JudgeCast where we talked about it some – you know. Right. Because, because in that previous example, we were calling it a GRV. Yeah. Uh, because – and one of the arguments for calling it a GRV, and I think I, I'm, what I'm trying to get at is that that argument for calling that a GRV, even though that's drawing extra cards under this, and I completely agree with that, mm-hmm. I think perhaps the lethal damage creature going back to the hand or the, the card in Jose's example, you know, completely innocently, let's say, being countered <laughs> and, and putting it in the graveyard and then bringing it back to your hands for some whatever reason, if that's all innocent – that seems more like a GRV, and, and one of the reasons that we, in the philosophy for drawing extra cards, is that it's hard to catch. Yes. Well, if you have an interaction or a game action taking place that's causing that, mm-hmm. um, and you have an object you know that, that's in a public zone and changing zones that like that, it seems more like a GRV. If I was to say, um, if, I, if I undo, return two creatures to their owner's hands, mm-hmm. and I target two creatures and the spell resolves, and you only return one to your hand, or you return one, two, and three to your hand. Mm-hmm. Those are, you know, that can, that's not drawing extra cards? That's if, you, if I return three to my hand? 
that exact example would say that it is drawing a <laughs> See, If you return, it's it's so, undo, or or you unsummon and I return to. <laughs> you know, and you you have moved a creature. I mean, yeah. So that's so that's, but that's more clearly a GRV. It feels like a GRV. Yeah. It feels like I'm I'm not. But it's a GRV that involves things going into your hand. Right, but from which is essentially yeah. all all DCs are GRVs fundamentally. But the the, the different well right that's why we, we yeah. put them all under yeah. the umbrella of gameplay error. But the the difference is that when I'm putting a card from my library, mm-hmm. it's a hidden zone to hidden zone. Yes. Whereas it's public zone to hidden zone. Mm-hmm. There's more information that more there is more information. But it's it's also an opportunity for my my opponent mm-hmm. to say. That object was in a public zone. Mm-hmm. I'm supposed to be keeping. I'm supposed to be keeping track of public zone information here. So when something changes that shouldn't, he should also be somewhat responsible for finding yes, that. Right. He should be getting so failure he, maintain games. Okay, so so he should also. So even though I'm getting a game loss mm-hmm. for drawing extra cards, oh, when my dead creature doesn't die and instead comes back to my hand, mm-hmm. he's also getting an FTMGS. Should be, yes. Okay, so that's that's how we we keep that together then. Okay. Well, that's, see, see, but that's where I totally disagree. Okay. Really? I, I, I think that if, if something goes from a uh, public zone back to hand, like that particular example, mm-hmm. I can't see. because You can't see that as drawing extra cards, you mean? Right. Okay. Because um, I, I have seen, and we've had this discussion before with Ricky, mm-hmm. um, talking about like what are the differences here. And uh, that came up, the hidden zone to hidden zone, mm-hmm. the how hard it is to catch somebody drawing three cards versus four cards off of ancestral visions for instance you know it goes it goes off a suspend you put it there you draw four cards right a lot of people will do that because they'll get the three draws on their upkeep and one draw from their draw set so they'll draw four cards so you'll see four cards go into their hand a lot but what if they draw for their draw step that is drawing extra cards because it's hidden zone to hidden zone it's hard to see somebody just fan a bunch of cards into their hand however it is also hard sometimes to see somebody take a card from, say, their graveyard, what mm-hmm. happened to me, and put it into their hand. I'm, you know, notoriously paranoid, so I'm keeping an <laughs> eye on my opponent's stuff at all times. Right. How many times did that guy get away with it before you caught him? Sure. Right. Sure. Um, so, but that is hard to catch. You'll see that happen a lot. Like somebody will be momentarily distracted and, oh, cheap. Mm-hmm. You know, they'll put something in their hand. And suddenly they have X cards in their hand. People keep them together. A lot of times they'll just keep a wad of cards in their hand that they're not fanned out. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to catch something like that. That seems where drawing extra cards fits because it's something that's hard to keep track of. But when you take take a permanent from a public place, put it into your hand when it should go somewhere else, even to a hidden zone, another hidden zone like top of library, for instance, if you spin into myth or something, I don't know. Um, I don't. I I can't see that as drawing extra cards because it's not so much about having more cards in your hand. It's about how hard the penalty is to catch. Okay. Well, the, the key here is that how hard the penalty is to catch is only one of the factors. Um, it also has to do with how messed up the game is and how much we want to discourage. It, a lot of the IPG is social engineering. It's right. how much do we want okay. to discourage these things? And how it, much do it's we? It's all about managing interactions. It's all about managing interactions, and so. For example, obviously, yes, in most cases, I mean, honestly, in most cases, the guy tries to pull up the second card, the guy's like, no, I targeted this one. Um, but, you know, that guy may be putting the unsummon in his graveyard at that time. And, you know, may not spot, if it's a complicated board, he may not notice for three turns, wait a minute, what happened to that guy that was in play back then that had it comes into play triggered ability? Right. 
Oh, you mean the one I'm about to play right now? It's like, oh dear. Uh, so, so the the point is that once you have to look at the game state before and the game state after, and the game state after, it's actually quite hard to spot these things. I mean, obviously, if it was like the only two creatures in play, then obviously, sure. but but you know, you don't. The visual cue of the hand size is very is very hard to use as a yes. before and after state. Uh, yeah, which is why we're very paranoid about cards going in and out of hand, right? Especially in the hands. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's yes, you're right that. Obviously, pulling four off of an ancestor we call is harder to catch, but that doesn't mean that the line is at that particular level of hard to catch. It's it's actually the line is less generous than that. It's these things are also considered to be philosophically very difficult or and, very problematic. And so there, it's it that is hard enough, hard catch. enough to catch. Exactly. Yeah, but in in these lines, we mm-hmm. talk about you know the IPG exists so we can have consistency. We have mm-hmm. uh, rules to go to. How many people are going to mess up? And and not call this a a uh, drawing extra cards. Sure. Instead, I, I of, think that, that that line between yeah, with the creature dying, where we're used to feeling that that's an R, sure. a GRV. Yeah. I think that you will find that, but I think for the vast majority of them, I mean, that does sound like a pretty awkward example. But. Yeah, but but <clears throat> an example the the perfect the uh, a perfect one for this would be the Jace. You've drawn mm-hmm. exactly the number of cards you need to draw. You just forgot to put two on top, mm-hmm. and it's not caught until the guy goes to. Mind rot you. Mm-hmm. He plays Blighting on his turn, and he's like, how do you have so many cards in hand? I was going to wreck your hand. You had two cards left, now you have four. What happened? That's why we have a provision to handle that. Drawing extra cards became a very specific thing, yep. and it's a, almost like a corner, a touchstone. You can say, you have drawn extra cards because of A, B, and C. Mm-hmm. It is specifically drawing mm-hmm. extra cards. The reason it has a harsher penalty is because it is it has de- uh, a high degree of advantage. Possibly, you know, you, you can get a, a potential a potential advantage. Thank you. Um, and it is hard to go from Hindo to Hindo. But if you have made essentially a game rule violation where you did not resolve a trigger fully mm-hmm. and that ended up with cards in hand. Right. That's a hard line to to judge when you are judging, <laughs> you know, um, well, people will mess up. There will be less uh, uh, consistency throughout. So in that sense, your social engineering has not worked. Well, and I'm, I, I don't want to keep focusing on this lethal damage creature not going to the graveyard. Sure. Thing, but one other part of that, <clears throat> when the IPG talks about, well, a game rule violation would have happened. You know, if a game mm-hmm. rule violation would have happened immediately prior to the, drawing, the, the extra cards piece of it, mm-hmm. then we go back to the GRV, go back to the root cause. In the lethal damage example, not putting the creature in the graveyard with lethal damage is, I mean, that's GRV. Oh, the, the problem is that the creature was moved from the wrong zone. The GRV was not, not putting the graveyard. It was the, the GRV is putting it in your hand. Right. If but, you move, if you go to the instant before they put that card in their hand, is the game fine? And the game is fine. There's a creature okay. scheduled for destruction, <laughs> okay. but the game is fine. Okay, so there's no actual violation happening. The until, violation is not, okay. Until the moment the card hits the hand. Nothing okay. about the game is wrong. Okay. There's a there's a creature scheduled for destruction now that you're resolving state based Okay, so so then let's let's take that a little differently and say that you know he plays Wrath of God on his turn and I have um, you know an artifact that I I have a, an artifact that I've turned into a creature somehow on his mm-hmm. turn and I forget that it's a creature and he forgets that it's a creature. We both right. commit the game of violation of not destroying it. Yep. And then Shemaric I say, idol for and then and then back on on my turn he says you know or back on my turn I say oh you know that's actually that's you know and I put that into my hand. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, I think I think we've reached corner case. Okay, okay, here. then let's let's ignore that. Then. Sure, let's, but but, but I mean, in a lot of general yes. cases, these things happen. The, the fundamental problem is that writing a rule to handle these things, especially when you know lots of judges have lots of different perspectives on what is what is good and what is bad and what is not. Sure. Um, I mean, one of the things that by adding certain quote unquote fixes to game rule violation, like the fact that we actually fix Jace, we say put those two cards back gave us a little more freedom to define these things because we could say we can call this a game rule and still not completely hose the other guy by not backing up. Right. right. So we, we, we said, you know, you can, you can still mind rot wreck his hand because it's going to be discarding four or it's going to be putting two on top and two in the graveyard. And obviously that's not optimal because right. there's information involved and it's kind of, you know, it, right. it's impossible why, to be but, perfect. But that's right, why which is why the fix hand. is two random cards. So you're still going to wreck his hand. We had this again. Yes, but it's, it, it's it, presumably he would have kept the two best cards and you could mind rot them. So yeah, but he perfect. did not know that there was a mind rot. Exactly. <laughs> right. But uh, so the, the key here is the perfect is the enemy of the good, mm-hmm. and it, this is one of these places where it is. If you want an IPG which is several hundred pages long, we could probably get it exactly right. And that philosophy of the perfect is the enemy of the good. I, I, that's that's something that I don't think I've I've heard expressed so succinctly, but it, it actually captures. Um, it captures a lot of the, a lot of the quizzical looks. I think that I've that I've given the document over the years of mm-hmm. reading different iterations and managing that expectation of you know, players are expecting us to have hard fast rules that we can apply you know, to everything. Yeah, to everything, and really we can't. It's impossible right. to do. It's, I, I could uh, write a several page treatise on on fixing drawing extra cards, right. and could probably manage to get at least my philosophy, exact philosophy, on the paper. Right. It, it, Nobody would want to read five yeah, pages sure. on it. So we come to the thing which handles 99% of the cases pretty darn well. And if it seems weird in a certain corner, and you know, I'll, I'll open this up to everybody. Any judge who thinks they can express drawing extra cards in a couple of paragraphs better, I'm all ears. Well, exactly. Absolutely. That would, that would Please be send a it benefit to, to all of us. Yes. Absolutely. I mean, it is, we have fixed things in the IPG before because a judge has said, you know, we talked about this last time with shuffling. Right. A judge has said, I think we can do it better this way. And right. If you can draw a nice bright line and handle all the various examples, right, um, and do it in a couple paragraphs, I yeah. we want to hear from you. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's also there's the difference between what do you put into the IPG and how do you apply it. And when you apply the fixes in the IPG or apply the the infractions and say this is what this is, here's how we're going to penalize it, here's how we're going to fix it. That's the application of the IPG, and that's meant to be, you know, ninety nine percent consistent. Yes, right. I mean, and the, and the cost is the occasional unintuitive result, right? Okay. But, but that's the price that, you pay, and that's the difference. But that's where the the perfect versus good, you know, dichotomy is more in the uh, in how do we get to the IPG? How do we right. how do we construct the IPG, and where do we where do we put certain kinds of behavior, and how do we penalize them? Game loss warning, etc. And and that's that's you know, I bet you that this will have mistakes. People will call oh, it's it GRB. Oh, sure. Well, then, that's And that needs to be said that mm-hmm. that is going to happen because that is mm-hmm. the nature. Huh? Oh, sure. Uh, I mean, so that, and if that, that happens, it needs to be okay. Well, and we, I mean, we had this. Don't just make mistakes. Yeah, that, we, that's we, fine. Yeah, well, that's 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 we, that's the point yes. that I want to get across. <laughs> I mean, if we, if a judge goes out there and calls the Jace thing a GRV instead of drawing extra cards. 
I I don't think it's correct to harp on him, say after the fact or no, well, you teach him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah you, you, Ninjas you, you, will not descend from the sky. No, yeah. we only do that to people who talk to us about Warp World or something yeah. like that. That seems fine. Yeah, but, because, no, no, but that, the Ninja Clan is Ricky's thing, so well. No, 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 no. They, they are DCI ninjas. <laughs> Ricky just borrows them and appropriates them. Yes. Um, I mean, we, we cannot write... We, first of all, we write the IPG under the assumption that, yes, people will screw it up periodically because okay. judges are human. Right. Know? They are. They have been known to screw up some of them quite publicly. Okay. Cool, cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no names will be named here. Yeah, no no names need to be named. I'm just... I want to <laughs> yes. make sure that, at, at least on the podcast, we get it clear we, we, that, we, you know, these lines can be unintuitive. Sure, and we expect judges to do their best. Yes. And that's all we could possibly ask. Absolutely. So I wanted to move on to a, a couple of the other changes that have happened. Sure. Um, f- for the longest time, I, I think even, even now, if you ask me, under the old IPG... You know, how would I consider or call the difference between illegal deck lists, deck deck list mismatch? <laughs> I mean, if I had to delineate those so succinctly, I would still screw it up probably a good third of the time. Um, here, they've all been kind of combined mm-hmm. into this generic sort of feeling word problem that you have a deck or deck list problem. Yes. Um, we've, we've brought it all under, under you know, so now it encapsulates a whole bunch of different possible things that can go wrong with a deck list. Um, and I wanted to know kind of how you see this as, as is this one of the more, you know, the policy should reflect what really happens or is it a matter of streamlining things or, or how does that, where well, did that come about? What happened here is that once we pulled regular RL out, a whole lot of exceptions went away. And At a which lot, point yeah. we're like, well, at this point, we can actually write this as a single infraction. We don't need to set, have all these subclasses so that regular can have its own penalties and things. And it required a few sort of compromises. Um, it required us saying, yeah, we don't care. I had to, I had to work the wording a little bit so that um, misregistering a card pool was not a game loss. Uh, it, that's something else that we noted here is that yeah. you have the, the improper registration is more the, okay, you're going to get a stern talking to mm-hmm. But there's a slight change in the wording there, which I, most people will not have noticed. But if you look at the definition, um, there's a tiny, tiny change to registration of decks. It requires it to be registering your deck. Oh, so if you're registering somebody else's? It's not a penalty. Okay, so that's that's a question that I have, though, because you know when we do a limited PTQ, mm-hmm. um, the, the sealed pools at the beginning, uh, we have all sorts of... You know, all sorts of errors that come up with those. Yes. Uh, all sorts of, yes. you know. And you sun- should feel free to go and yell at those people. Okay, so we should go give them the stern talking to, yes. whip them mercilessly. Absolutely. You should give them, all judges should always, stuff that we don't penalize explicitly, but judges find that they do not like the behavior, mm-hmm. should, judges should feel free to go and give them the hairy eyeball. Right, and then this is the, the philosophical thing of if it's not somewhere else in the IPG, we go give them a caution, and yeah. then and then we, we give them worse things after that. Well, right? it's just, just tell them not to do it. I mean, right. if they don't bring a pen... Tell them, dude, next time, bring <laughs> a pen. But you okay. know, we don't need to bring a heavy hand down to that. I mean, okay. there's no real reason. And in fact, again, this, this comes back to matching reality. How many of those, did you mean to mark this one or this one? Oh, yeah, you meant to mark that one. How many of those have you actually recorded in DCI or well, in whichever? But what I'm, I, th- I think more is that when you're registering somebody else's deck list mm-hmm. um, or when you're registering somebody else's pool and then we're doing the swap after that, um, for a limited PTQ, that can really eat up a lot of time yep. at the beginning of deck construction where somebody says, you know, I, I have a bomb and it's listed as this crap common mm-hmm. because, the you know, it's it's a Johnny – I have a Johnny Goldman and I have a, a Johnny's Pride Maid instead in here. Yep. What gives, yep. you know? 
going through and changing those, there's also a lot of potential for abuse there, I think, where somebody can can change a card out and say, you know, this is what I meant to have. Uh, this is what I this is what I have, and you know. Well, I mean that changing that penalty adding, doesn't actually change right, because, anything there because we're, we're actually adding cards to yeah, a limited, I mean, that's, limited that's, pool. That's, right, going, so. that's you know, no amount of changing you know warnings okay. is going to affect that. Okay. So all we all we've done is said, yeah, that doesn't need to be a warning. That okay. just go yell at them because who really wants to record all of those? You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he he marked it one lower down in the column. Obviously, they're registering their own deck, like in a draft. Mm-hmm. Still very relevant, but that's that's we actually put that distinction. That you have to be registering your deck. Okay. Well, and I want to. There's one example that came up for me when I was at Pro Tour San Diego, mm-hmm. uh, where in the WPN Open, I gave somebody a game loss in the top eight mm-hmm. uh, for a deck uh, for a deck deckless mismatch. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know there was a. So we have a, a kitty in the background here. This is either Urza or Urza. That's Urza, and. Coolest cat names ever. <laughs> so tell me, tell me that they're brothers. No, 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 no. Oh. Um, no, they're, they're, well, and this is er, er, Mary. You might be a little upset about it. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh God, I heard. Yeah, I, you said Mary. I heard Misha. Well, there, no. w- there was a Misha. There was a Misha. Yes. Oh, um, yeah. So, uh, but back, back to the the deck problems mm-hmm. here. Um, it, so this this scenario here, where you gave a game loss in top eight for a deckless problem here, mm-hmm. um, it was you know, the, the player had a uh, mono white deck and had listed a Johnny Vengeant on their deck list. Mm-hmm. They were playing a Johnny Goldman. Mm-hmm. Um, in under this this revised IPG, mm-hmm. um, this player, do we go back and still fix them and say you know because the fix at that time was. You're, you're still playing this. We're going to fix this to say what you're playing mm-hmm. instead of, you know, instead of taking out the Johnny Gold mains because those aren't on your list and putting in four planes. You know, what's our fix now, though? So, again, this is something which, as a consequence of pulling regular out, we're like, well, we should probably be a little more hardcore on these people, okay. competitive and professional REL. And there have, in the historically, we don't really want judges to be getting into situations where they have to analyze, well, can he cast a Johnny Vengeance? I mean, obviously... That's a pretty, fairly easy example. That if he's got, if he's running twenty-two planes, but if he's running spectral searchlights, or mm-hmm. you know, there have been decks historically that have been incapable of casting spells that they've yeah. had on their deck lists. Um, the, 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 whoa, 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 whoa! Okay, uh, sorry, cat attack. I just got attacked by Urza. Urza. Um, there have been historical ex- examples where the o- the sole purpose of that card is to host somebody's other somebody else's strategy because mm-hmm. they you know show and tell or something and you plop that into play. Right. And so you know deck lists are important and it's their responsibility to get them right. Um, so let's let's actually you know ask them to actually take a little bit of responsibility and actually write down the cards they're playing. Well, and, and that also gets gets to a line in the IPG that I see is still in here, mm-hmm. um, and that is that when you're making these changes, judges should take into account the format being played. So that's a problematic line in the past because people have taken that to mean that I my knowledge of the format means that I know that most fairies decks run this card instead of this yes, one. Yes, and that's, that's not what that was intended for. What that was intended right. for was these other if this card's ambiguous. This card is not this other card that theoretically it could be is not actually legal for the format. Right. So, so if somebody puts, uh, let me think of two, two cards. Arrogant Worm and Argothian Worm is the right. word in there. If, right. if Argothian Worm happens to be legal and Arrogant Worm isn't, or probably more likely the other way around, sure. Then if they put R Worm, 
probably not the one that's not in fact valid for the format. Mm-hmm. And that that was knowledge. Of the, that was what knowledge of the format was for. So it's it's what cards are legal and not not mm-hmm. what people are playing and what they yeah, are. So right. Your analysis of the metagame should not be affecting your your and and I, analysis of the deck list. And I love that clarification because yeah. that's that's something that has been, a I think, for new judges especially because you get into this because you know what you're doing, or at least you think you do. Uh, <laughs> that, you, know, you get into judging because you're usually a pretty good player or you'd like sure. to become a better player. Doing that means that you, you feel like you have a good estimation of what's going on. And when they say, when it says in the IPG, knowledge of the format... It often a it new actually job. means the technical definition of the format, right? Not your knowledge as a player, not right. your not your strategic metagame. knowledge is not relevant, right? And that's that's I think a, and that's a good delineation in general. Mm-hmm. We want to leave strategic knowledge out of things, right? right. Okay, well, we talked about drawing extra cards, deck problems, um, other things that you want to talk about in the new IPG, things that have, that I think have we've covered most of it. I think, yeah. we've, I think we've covered I mean, most the, of the, the changes, changes were and, big, but they were actually fairly self-contained. Mm-hmm. There were only a few; they were just major. I'm just scrolling down to the bottom here to see if I missed anything in the changes from previous versions section. Oh, well, comp- and I, I just competitive wanted... versus professional and bringing the changes in line, I don't think we actually mentioned. I oh, think well, I, I think that that's actually worthwhile noting, though, because now there's this sort of, I think, uh, I, I forget the, which judge it was specifically that, that takes the, to, or expressed the view that, you know, professional REL is there basically because Hasbro wants it to be there. Well, <laughs> and, and and the difference between them now, because the difference between regular and prof- or competitive and professional is it's approaching trivial. Mm-hmm. It's not not necessarily trivial just yet. And you can explain it so, more. So it's a philosophical difference. It's 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 no longer about the technical details. It's about expressing to the players how we expect them to handle themselves, how we expect them to play the game, how we expect them to communicate. Basically, it's competitive plus more. We expect mm-hmm. you to be extra careful about your your communication. We expect you to be extra clear about how your plays are. We're likely to be less forgiving for, you know, little, like, you know, right. how, they're, how they're talking to each other. And, you know, there's, there's still tons of magic that isn't embedded in the rules. Like, the interpretation of various nonverbal actions. This is especially important at the Pro Tour fan, for example, where they don't talk to each other necessarily. Well, there's a lot of can't. language differences. Exactly. Right. They, they don't share a language. Ever, you can yeah. play lots and lots of magic without sharing a language. Mm-hmm. But we expect them, because it's a professional event, to comport themselves and to communicate in, yeah, extra carefully for that very reason, because the odds are that the other person doesn't necessarily have their cultural shorthands. Right. Like, like if I go to a PTQ here, I know pretty much when somebody's using slang or mm-hmm. you know how people are acting. They're acting in sort of the community way. Right. When I and pull- this gets back to our concept of community to a certain extent. Yeah. If I'm sitting down opposite a player from Uruguay or Japan, my standard shortcuts and you know slang and things are completely lost on them. So professional Ariel is a way of expressing. We expect you to be particularly careful about how you communicate, how you play the game, mm-hmm. making sure everything is very carefully done. Right. Just don't point a lightning bolt at a creature and grunt. Yeah, it's a, it's <laughs> a, it's it a philosophical that. question rather than right. a technical yeah. question. you got to so, choose most. And, 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 and so that's why the differences within the IPG as written now aren't in all, you don't see the difference in the chart. You know, that's one thing we were scrolling through it, it's, there. It's about expectations, right. not application. Right. Okay. So that's, that's a great way of looking at it. And uh, it, it's great to you're, you're absolutely right giving giving players and telling them that okay now you need to comport yourselves in in this certain uh way is uh is a pretty pretty good way to go about it okay well 
I think we've, we've covered the IPG pretty pretty thoroughly here, the new changes and, and the Fixing Common Errors FCE document. Um, even calling it a document makes it feel more formal than it's really intended, yeah. I think. Um, but that's that's – so we've covered those things, and that's one of the reasons we came down here. But the other reason is because, well, Toby, frankly, you're a fun guy. So we've got a couple, we've got a couple questions here. Um, <laughs> Is this, uh, what would Toby do? Is that? Uh, well, oh, no. <laughs> uh, actually, uh, it is a question that it, we only have a couple questions from listeners because we recorded an episode earlier this week that we answered a bunch of the kind of easier going rules questions. Um, and this one, these couple came in, in the last day or two, so we want to just cover them so they're not waiting around too long and talk about um, you know get a level five's verified opinion on all this. Um, the first one is actually just a straightforward rules question. Um, but he also mentions Warp World in it, so let's. Okay. <laughs> I haven't, I haven't read these. So okay, well, he he says I was going to ask this question about hypergenesis, but now that it's banned, I have to default to Warp World. Uh, basically, it's just the idea of a card putting a bunch of permanents into play at once is is the, is the question here. Um, by the way, uh, the ninjas are now being dispatched to the house of Lawrence um, in Columbus, Ohio. Um. <clears throat> So if someone puts down Progenitus, can I use Warp World's effect to cheat Lignify onto it and then have it stick because the protection ability goes away? Also, if I then, if I then kill it later, does, it, does the enter the graveyard trigger still happen? That's the one that would, would – the replacement effect that would shuffle Progenitus into the, into the library. On a related note, can I also use Warp World to put Lignify on Emrakul? Thanks in advance. <laughs> okay. Um, so this is a little complicated a question. I'm going to simplify the wording and, and split it out a little more easily here. There are two questions here at least. Um, first off, so Progenitus and he wants to put Lignify on it with Warp World. <laughs> um, the short answer to this is hell no. Because progenitus you, does not care about being a tree. Progenitus can't have it, lignify attached to it. It has protection from enchantments because it has protection from everything, mm-hmm. and um, it also has protection from green. So it, it, protection from auras too. I understand that you and many other things. I mean, when you're when you're trying to cast lignify, you need to choose a target for it, and that targeting has to be legal. And so, if something has protection from green or protection from enchantments, it can't be a target for this. And that's not. The, but that's not where protection stops. Right. Mm-hmm. And this is this is something that I know that I've gotten wrong in the past, mm-hmm. so this is this is a good one to go over. Right, right. Now, so, this, this is actually a much more interesting question if you pick a card that just has protection from green. It is. It is. Because, uh, well, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Wait, protection from green. Don, Dune Rider Outlaw. Sure. I mean... Okay, just... I'm, now voice I'm, of all now I'm, green. Now I'm getting lost in this here. Let's go over this again. It's still now, but it's more interesting. Okay, why is why is it more interesting? Right, wait, wait. There, there, there would be a good example. What you need is an example where you can sneak it on but shut the ability off afterwards. So you want something which is Night of Dawn gains protection from a color of your Sneak it on, but, but no. shut the. So you talk- if you could get it on, it would shut it off, but you can't get it on. So you need a way to. Yeah, you can't. You, I think that's if you humble progenitus. Well, you can't. You can't humble. If, if you sudden spoiling progenitus <laughs> and put lignify on it, lignify will not fall off. 
Okay, that's that's a okay. That, that's so yeah. That's a, there's a wacky, wacky, wacky interaction in there, but, but, but it won't work for the ones right, you want. In order for Lignify to be legally attached to Progenitus, it needs to not have protection from everything. Correct. Once it ha- not has protection from everything, if something's saying you're now losing all your abilities, when when the if you have two things that say it loses abilities, when one wears off, the other one's not going to, even though the abilities that it would get back don't make it not get knocked off. Yes. That's the okay. That's the <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so then let's let's talk about the the other part. Oh, actually, the, there's two other questions here. One is so say progenitus with no abilities is killed somehow. Or project, mm-hmm. progenitus with no abilities is killed. The progenitus does not get shuffled in. Correct. Okay. Because progenitus, because this is a replacement effect, and the replacement effect is not in play. Or is not, it does it's not, not apply. It does not apply, apply at the time right. when it's it being yes. So, so did so Jose you get right. it right? Jose got it right. Woo-hoo! All right. Victory. Fantastic. Wow, that was grueling. It's like. Yeah, that's like taking my judge test all over. Yeah, now. that's a fine judge question. That's a, most conversations with Toby go like that. Free judge question. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, I'll, I'll look for that on the test some, sometime in the future then. We'll I'll, I'll store that one up. Can, well, can I save that right answer? We'll have to find some other cards to use it because we don't want to use examples yeah. that are in the public domain like that anymore. Right. Um, but that's a, well, that's a but yeah, I mean, it's a classic sort of guru-ish type of question. That's yeah, the sort of thing which we don't expect new judges to know off the top of their heads. What's the next item on the exhibit? Uh, well, the next question um, is the the other part about the Emrakul um, oh, yeah, cool. Emrakul Warp World, and he wants to lignify. He wants to put a lignify on Emrakul because Emrakul has protection from colored Emrakul spells. Well, has protection from colored spells, indeed. Right. So that's that's and the so? so that's the question there. All right. So can you get lignify on Emrakul that way? So players playing Warp World, right? Emrakul is is coming in and then lignify, right? And so he wants to put Lignify on Emrakul. Can yeah. that happen? How and why? Yeah, it, it can happen. Um, uh, the aura is not a spell when it's being put onto... That'd be the important part. <laughs> yeah, when it's being put onto Emrakul, it is uh, an aura. It is not a spell. So uh, Emrakul is protection from colored spells. It does not have protection from Lignify unless you're casting Lignify. So you can put it on there. And if Emrakul dies... So it's got the ability put into a graveyard from anywhere. That means it triggers from the graveyard. It can't trigger from in play. Oh, okay. So, so, so the key, then, if it was if it was just put into the graveyard from play, it would look back to the moment before it was put in from play and see it had no abilities and trigger. Because it triggers from anywhere, that means by definition it has to be a graveyard based trigger. Right. By the time it's in the graveyard, it, it has it's its suddenly got the ability. Okay. The interesting thing there, the difference this is. Reason this is interesting versus progenitus is that progenitus, by being a replacement effect, does not have that rule apply to it. Okay, well, Lawrence, so we may delay the ninjas because you provided some interesting, interesting feedback for us here. Yeah. Um, now we want to get into the other question that we had, and this is regarding a play that Cedric Phillips was talking about having made. Okay. Um, and this is uh, at, he says at the end are, of the GGS are, live. Are these operative words like he was talking about being made? Does that matter? That it, well, it basically that that Cedric is talking about plays that happened that he's doing. Um, that that he, he's recounting this on GGS. Okay, live. okay. So um, Zach from Jacksonville in Florida uh, says 
At the end of the GGS live broadcast, uh, Cedric made the, the mention of a scenario where his opponent played Esper Charm and immediately said, target myself. Right. That, and, that classic, uh, to go over it, the classic <laughs> Esper point. Charm trick yeah. <laughs> is that Esper Charm has one mode that has a target, and that is the discard mode. And the other two mm-hmm. modes, including the one that says draw two cards, just says draw two cards. It doesn't say target player draws two cards. So yep. if you're, so the trick is that, and I've seen, uh, uh, this got told to me, and I thought it was very dirty. Uh, if somebody plays Esper Charm, <laughs> And you go to him and ask, who are you targeting? And they mean to say the draw two cards. Then, you know, it's kind of tricksy that way. However, you've Mm -hmm. chosen that mode before you pick targets. Opponent here says, target myself. And then Cedric says, well, target yourself? You know, clarification. Asks for clarification. At this point, um, he was cut off in the interview. But from what I could gather, he called a judge and argued, since the only mode that can target a player is the discard mode, his opponent must have used that. He is welcome to argue that. This listener here is assuming that he was successful in his endeavor to get the player to discard two cards because of how he's selling the story. But Well, this, this has a good application because it has to do with strategy, right? What if getting cards in your yard matters? What if you want to discard two uh, blood gas? So that right. you can essentially play your land and right. get them and, into play with and haste. And then we're getting into this question of str- strategic information. Strategery. And, right, and, and players taking that into account. I think the other, the other side of this also is that Cedric's calling a judge over. And while the intent is to get more clarification, no, at least that's what we should be doing as judges, is right. clarifying the situation. What should your first question be when you get to the table? What mode did you mean when you when you cast this? That's the that's the fine question. That's the first that's the first thing you should ask you is to say what did you mean to do here? No, 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 don't say what did you mean to do. Oh, okay. What, what mode? That's what, it's right. Okay. What mode did you choose? What mode did you choose? Right. And the, and so when they say draw two cards or target player draws two cards, when the, when the, when the player says that, then you're like, okay, well, read your card. You know, state your mode more carefully. Continue with that mode in mind. Right. The, and if they argue with you, the correct response back is, why did you allow them to legally play a spell without choosing a mode? Right. <laughs> that usually shuts them up. Um, <laughs> because otherwise, then they're getting into the... the yeah, I mean, they, they, they can come back with, well, I assume he implied this mode, and I'll be like, you just said you chose the other mode, so clearly you guys had a miscommunication here. Let's you know, yeah. Fix it and go for it. Move on. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I, I like that, and it sounds like it's created more turmoil than it really is worth. I mean, it, the, it, the, the, the Esper Charm target has been around for a while. Right, yeah. And I think the, the basic mode and the, the basic message in all of this is don't be a dick. <laughs> um, you know, yeah. it, it's sort of rules lawyery. Yeah. You know, technically speaking, if you want to be excruciating, then you know, ask him if he's made sure that the mode and targets were chosen for every single Esper Charm before <laughs> in that match. I mean, I guarantee you he didn't you know, verify these things. <laughs> right. right. But, but if he did, he said... So what's your mode? What's your target for mm-hmm. this Esper Charm? Okay, and he did that all the time, and then finally the opponent screws yeah. up somehow and says, yeah, okay, exactly. I'll target myself. This is, this, this, this is what rules lowering essentially is, is when you allow things to be played at a certain level of technicality until the moment where you can abuse a loophole. Right. And that, and that you know, if you look at, like, for example, the shortcuts, the shortcuts were all basically designed to stop rules lawyers from mm-hmm. abusing what they've been doing all game. Right. right. The, the famous one here in Northern California is the Arthur Halavase rule. 
which is the targeting a planeswalker as a shortcut. Well, that we, we wrote that in afterwards. Right, because it, it was, it was like, his seal of fire that was... Yeah. yeah uh, or his opponent's seal of fire on his planeswalker. Yeah, judges can now say, can I target Jace with seal of fire? Is now the answer. Judges can now answer yes. Right. Because <laughs> it's a legal shortcut. <laughs> yeah. Now, uh, I want to go back to something you said, because I mentioned at the beginning, like, you choose modes before you choose targets. Mm-hmm. Anyone who listened to the last podcast oh, God, okay, with the lightning bolt. Okay, now we're getting into the, to the <laughs> right. slowest Esper charm ever. Yeah, the slowest Esper charm ever, uh, which is good because you choose modes before you choose targets. It's mm-hmm. a good thing for people to know. I think the last podcast, a lot of people got a lot of value from that discussion. Right. Well, you have to choose modes before you choose targets because some have targets and some don't. And right. That's, that yeah. seems pretty logical. Um, okay, so we've covered... Our li- a couple of listeners' questions here. Um, I think now, and we've covered the IPG in depth. There's a couple, there's a couple other things. Um, okay. First of all, I want I want to say because I mentioned this earlier. Um, you had the tw- the competition a few weeks back for the calling a judge and getting completely hosed. Oh, and that's right. I watched yes. it happen on Friday. Yes. I thought the answers on the answers like last week were, you know, last time were we're kind of mm-hmm. weak. But yeah. I actually watched this happen in my F and M draft, and I, I had a judge gets called over. And I happen to be standing nearby, so I you know, wander over to watch the judge in action. And the guy has the um, core spirit craft, spirit dancer, the mm-hmm. one that gets plus two, plus two for every umbra. And, and, you, and when you cast an enchantment, yeah, 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 card. Draw a card. Sure. It's attacked, and his opponent has blocked with a dagger back basilisk. And he raises his hand. Oh, no, and then he, he casts that new spell that rebounds and gives protection from color of your choice. Emergence Scathe. Emergence Scathe. So he casts Emergence Scathe. Mm-hmm. And he calls a judge over and he wants to know if Emergence Scathe will save the um, creature from the Death Touch. Of course. Because he's like, yeah. yeah, of course it will save the creature from the Death Touch. And so the judge asks that. And then I look over there from when I nudge the judge. I'm like, what's that pile of cards under the umber, the uh, stone hewer, or the, um, that creature? And he's like, I don't know. He over. The thing's got um, two white and three green umbers <laughs> on it. <laughs> I'm so like, it just got it just got protection from green. Yeah, nice. <laughs> so instead of losing one umber by calling the judge by then by letting the death touch kill it, he lost three. <laughs> Very nice. Wow. Yes. Yeah. You know, I think I, I have seen I've seen emergent scathe kill a few own enchantments uh, more more often than people want. Oh, yeah. A lot of people use it as narcolepsy protection. So yeah. that's really or nice. brave the elements. I think I've seen kill a few umbers also. Oh um, yes. Yeah. That's. That'll do it. Wow, fantastic. <laughs> well, if we if we were still running that contest, you probably would have gotten the draft set with that with that question. And that, not that, that he would have ever gotten the draft sets, but oh no, you gave me the draft sets. Oh yeah. I yeah, finally yeah. as of Uh-oh. as of today, I have the draft sets. So, uh, you listeners will get your draft sets cuz I have them now and I can send them. Yeah. I can find the post office. Man with a mission. <laughs> All right. Well, with that jab at my Ability to find a post office. Um, do we have anything else for our listeners? Yeah, I, I, won't, I have one last thing. One last thing. Before okay. we sign off, which sure. is, um, we, there's somebody not here, obviously, today, and that's Ricky. Yes. And um, I've been known to make rather a lot of fun of Ricky over the years. Um, Ricky Top 9 Hayashi. Um, <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Ricky Top and, you know, I give him a hard time. This, the, my, my stories of his level 3 interview are somewhat legend and everything else. Um, but I wanted to take this moment, since it's obvious he won't be listening to this, to, you know, Say Ricky has been an incredible force for the California judge community. He's been an amazing judge, and we're going to miss him a lot when he goes. Absolutely, and we're looking forward to still having him on the program occasionally. But mm-hmm. you know, obviously, his presence is going to be missed. We're we're going to find an all possible way to keep him on mm-hmm. JudgeCast because he's a lot of fun. I think I, he likes doing it. Mm-hmm. So you know, um, 
uh, I think he's motivated to stay on as well. But well, I mean, it really like he was the one that set this scheme in motion. So uh, it was, you know, his. Perhaps his, you've met my cohort. Too. Right. That's that's the only reason that I got here. Yeah, Roanoke um, is lucky to have him, and now yes. I can go back to harshing on him all the time. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, he's uh, he's been an awesome mentor for me uh, personally. I don't think I could attribute. Um, much of anything of my being anything other than a level one. Uh, you know, I think I, I would not have developed past my local store without his um, leadership mentoring, um, pushing me really to, to really do more for the program and really see what more there can, you can get out of uh, the judge program uh, than what he's, you know, he's brought to it and, uh, and shown me with it. So yeah, Ricky's been awesome. And, uh, Though he's not going to be local anymore, he will still hopefully be in your ears with his jabs at all sorts of other things that he makes fun of me for on this. Uh, and maybe, who knows, he'll even write about it in an article. Hopefully we'll, we'll hear more from him one way or another. We'll miss you, Ricky. It's been awesome with him. So, with that, that note, signing off from this episode, this is Sean Catanese. I keep it fair. Uh, Jose Boveda, I keep it real. Toby Elliott, I keep them busy. Thanks for listening. We're recording, so I'll just cut this part out. Yeah, you said that last time, didn't you? <laughs> that's, that's something that we do, though, is that we... <laughs> yeah, we'll cut this part out. Oh. Nope. <laughs> sometimes it sometimes they get left in and that's you know the, the first the very first one in episode one was a genuine mistake i think it was something something along the lines of i said well i need to cut this part out because otherwise it sounds like i don't know what i'm talking about and, and I, I actually said that in the recording about four it was like maybe four or five minutes in so our very first impression with potential listeners you know episode one right say that and i, I did forget that's, to cut that part that, out and that's, that's a in comics that's like the in, introductory issue you know yeah that's, exactly that's the one if people will go back and read the you know listen yeah. to the first one i think but uh no it, it, yeah so since then it's it has become a running joke but we'll, since uh, then i think we have actually cut like you know one part out i, <laughs> I cut much more than that out especially if it sounds like i'm wrong <laughs> can't have that yeah, well, actually, I'm making a note about that. I I don't think that's bad, and I'm going to tell you why. Well, because you know, this is this is essentially uh, uh, what would be the difference between this podcast and an article that you would post online. Well, somebody gets to edit it first. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Somebody gets to edit it. Somebody right? that's not me. Oh, sure. <laughs> you, but, you know, you, you, I mean, if if Zayn writes an article and he hands it off to to LSV or somebody else to to edit, you know, that's a, somebody that's not immediately involved in it checking it but there's no real practical way that we can hand this off to ingrid and say okay well now that you're the or or lems and say now that you're the communications you know Guy. l4 this is going out and we're judges saying this let's have you review this before and there's just there's no, no but way. that would be that wouldn't be a good workflow anyway yeah um this well, is this is sort of like a special project that we do so we're we're responsible for it mm -hmm. and uh i think that if there there are parts that are egregiously wrong you cut them out <laughs> you know right but the rest of the time, it's just like, you know, uh, kind of wrong. Mm -hmm. Being being wrong isn't bad. Mm -hmm. But when you're when you're just say something totally wrong, I think you should, you know, cut it out.